Hello, welcome to what is bound and guaranteed to be a very exciting chapter in the Jan Arden podcast and show life. With me today is Caitlin Green. She's back. Uh, You guys, uh, if you've been traveling along with us, Caitlin has been back for a couple of episodes. Uh, She's back from mat leave. She is in work mode. She is out in the world. She is taking buses. She is on trains. She is lunching out with the girls. And Caitlin Green, you're just, you're a breath of fresh air. So thank you for (laughs) returning. Thank you for having your baby and returning to us. We appreciate it so much. I thought you might just you know, take Will and your husband and leave and go to Iceland and just forget about the world. Oh, that sounds so relaxing, but no, I'm not rich enough. <laughs> well, that's why she's back working. And Sarah Burke is back. Sarah was with us this past year as Caitlin was on her mat leave. And Sarah and I had a great time. We talked about lots of stuff and you have been sadly missed, but guess what, gang? All three of us are going forward with the Jan Arden podcast and show. Sarah's going to be here with us. Caitlin's going to be with us. So girls, welcome. Here we are. Uh, three people can't be wrong is we're getting t-shirts made. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, it's an exciting time. And I think um, we're never going to run out of things to talk about, are we? No, that's a guarantee. I, I think it's safe to assume that being that we all like to talk and that the world is filled with so much weird craziness, we should be pretty solid on content, I would say. I'm already just marveling at what you lovely women have sent me this morning. There's so many things to talk about. And one of them, you know, just caught my eye because there has been so much talk, so much focus on summer live music concerts. I think this is the first summer that we have truly been back from COVID. Uh, It feels like it's kind of behind us, although the numbers are going up. There's more hospitalizations. They're talking about, you know, getting the new vaccines out there, yada, yada, yada. But having said all that, summer concerts have been the big hot ticket. And Caitlin, you sent me something that was, (laughs) I've really been laughing about, which is what would you be willing to do to save money? to like go to one of the big ticket concerts. Beyonce is touted as being the highest grossing tour by a female artist, which I find hard to believe, Caitlin. Like, wouldn't that have been, wouldn't that be in Taylor, Taylor, uh, uh, our lovely Taylor's hands? I think maybe when Taylor's tour is done, she might have that title. Like, I think when all the dates are complete and everything is sold, that might be hers to have. Or maybe that's already changed because I agree. I thought it was Taylor, but they're close, man. They are close, those two. Because they're both doing big 70,000-person stadiums, correct? Oh, yeah. And the Swifties and the the Beehive, they will. The beehive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> so it's saying here that she has grossed $461 million in revenue. Oh, my God. So that's Beyonce. And I have a lot of people that have been to Taylor Swift's stuff and, and to Beyonce. So here, the list is hilarious. What would you be willing to do to see your favorite artist live? As you know, some of these ticket prices are thousands of dollars. So if you're wanting to get something decent that you're not literally standing on the roof of the stadium to see your favorite artist, um, the things are really hilarious. I'm going to let you take it from here, Caitlin. You sent me this damn thing, but skipping showering for a month was 
the top response was 79.90%. That's what people would be willing to do. What was the, the number that said miss a mortgage payment? Almost a third of respondents would dip into rent and mortgage savings to pay for concert tickets, 31.4%. Over one in six would use the money saved for education. So that's 17%. That's gross to me. <laughs> well, let me just run these by you. Skip showering for a month. Give up a vacation. We'll, we'll talk to you about that, Sarah Burke. Camp outside the venue for a week. Shave all your hair off. Miss a friend or relative's wedding. Miss a friend or relative's funeral. Reschedule your own wedding. <laughs> Lose all of your friendships. Camp outside the venue for a month. 37% of the people were willing to shave all their hair off. Like all your hair off. Absolutely not. Your eyebrows, your <laughs> eyebrows. I mean, come on, people. Eyebrows never grow in properly. You can pick out the women that grew up in the 70s because they have no eyebrows. And the 90s. Don't forget about the 90s. And the 90s, yeah. Oh, did it come back in the 90s, the tweezing yeah. stuff? Oh, yeah. Oy. I mean, I love seeing live music. There's not one of those things that I'd be willing to do. I mean, Sarah, you remember when I was talking about when Adele canceled her Vegas shows, we were imminently, we were like 36 hours away from her starting in Caesar's Palace. We hadn't really heard anything that wasn't ready to go the day before. So thousands of people have flown. They've, they're in their hotel rooms. They're in Vegas waiting for Adele to go. They've spent literally thousands of dollars to be there and Adele canceled. So I was so freaking mad. I had tickets to that show. And I literally gave them to Chris and he gave them to his parents because I'm like, I'm not going to see it. I just, I was so mad about that teary-eyed cancellation. I'm just not ready. I'm sorry. Well, no, you knew you weren't ready three weeks ago. And I, I stand by that because I know how these things work. Yeah, you know what goes into it. I know what goes into it. And I had people on the ground. And so anyway, I had tickets in my hand that were so difficult to get. I don't even know how to express that to you. I had to be on a list. I had to, <laughs> yeah. you know, be in this lottery. Like it was a lot of steps. And then the tickets were almost $1,000 Canadian each. Now consider this, because some Taylor Swift tickets were going for about the same. Some Beyonce tickets, I would imagine as well. So Rogers Center is one of the popular spots on both of these like Beyonce and Taylor Swift tours. My dad mm -hmm. paid $8,000 for Jay's playoff tickets. Okay. 14 dates. If you do the math there, how many Taylor Swift concerts would fit in that $8,000 if you're paying 1000 a ticket? Your dad is also sick, is what we've learned from this story. <laughs> My dad's a season ticket holder, so he, he does this every year. And he'll sell some. Well, a third of you people would apparently skip your fr best friend's wedding. Look, guys, I feel like we need to all have a meeting where we're like, if we just all collectively agree to stop paying this amount, then maybe we can go back to a time when seeing your favorite artist didn't mean you couldn't make rent or you had to shave off all of your hair. Because <laughs> it's it's perplexing to me. Now I feel like the like the old woman yelling at the newspaper headlines because I'm like, when I was a girl, like I didn't have to pay that to see Janet Jackson. Like I didn't have to pay that to see Britney. I didn't have to pay that to see my favorite artist ever. Like, so I just don't, I'm like, I don't get it. And also, aren't we all more broke than ever? I'm not going to feel bad about the hundred plus bucks you pay to see me. I mean, I'm no Beyonce, for God's sakes. I'm. You're reasonable, though. But you're not like $2,000. God, no. I don't. I think 
VIP packages years ago when I used to do them were like three or 400 bucks. And I did a private mini concert before my concert that the night of. I would do four or five songs on my guitar, meet everybody. They'd get a book. I would talk to everybody. I think they got a champagne and, and some snacks. That was before my show. Maybe a song written about them. Yeah. And then I would have sex with each person <laughs> at the VIP. <laughs> That's what VIP meant. I did some hand jobs and <laughs> then I was out of there. Then I was on the stage. Yeah. So that is value. But you see, I was cut from a different cloth. This was, I'm an artist that grew up in the 70s, in the 80s. Anyway, can you imagine? Um, Moving on, moving on. You girls have both been traveling because Caitlin, I just saw a little clip of a plane wing. So you were coming from somewhere and you were talking about your liver uh, revolting, you know, telling you not to have that ninth vodka soda. So anyway. Yes. The travel thing, there is an airline that is, I don't know what the name of it is, but it's going to be adult-only flights, so childless flights. I would take that. I would hop on that plane with a childless flight, and I sound bitter, but Caitlin, you have a child. Tell us about your thoughts, please. (laughs) I want both, you know, like, yeah, I want both because I don't want to be the self-conscious parent on a plane if your kid cries and you can't help it. And if someone's like, oh, that kid's crying and being alive, screw them. I'd rather just be like, yeah, well, then you should have paid the extra 80 bucks to get on the adults only flight, you deadbeat. Mm -hmm. But then if conversely, I am traveling alone and finally don't have a child with me and I want to go on a child free flight like this past weekend. Yeah. Then I would choose to do Then I would choose to do that sometimes. The only thing I will say is I feel from having traveled with a child, mind you, he can't walk yet. So he's like still very much our responsibility in our chair. So he's not running around going nuts. But he's like the bell of the ball on a plane. We had like a tattooed oil rig worker playing peekaboo with him. (laughs) Like he is fun and people wave to him and he's like, he's a little greeter. And so far he hasn't hit a terror phase yet. And I know it will happen on a plane. And he's just, he loves it and people love him. And the experience of traveling with a child has thus far been magical. And it like brings people together and they talk to you about your kid. And the worst behaved people I've ever seen on flights are adults. But I just think people should have choice. I second that emotion. Adults aren't ordering like their seventh double Caesar as the plane is landing. That the flight attendant has to, the flight attendant has to pour their drink into a freaking plastic cup. Like, sir, sorry, we're landing now. (laughs) No, children don't do that. But listen, it's very reasonable. Um, This is obviously in the UK because it's in pounds. They're charging 50 50 bucks Canadian. If you want to be, they're saying an adults only sanctuary area. Section. And, and I find that in business class, very seldom have I been in business class with a, a baby. And I don't care if a baby cries. I really am the one that's like, my heart's going out smiling and, you know, I travel with my dog and people are equally as up in arms about sometimes with a pet. And I have had people that have been very kind of discouraged when they, they don't even notice that I have the dog, but in case they do with noticing a seven pound dog under a seat, Uh Is that going to be a problem? Uh, No. No, it's not going to be a problem. Um, It's 10 out of 10 times men. Yeah. And that a lot of times at the end of the flight, which I love, you know, you're standing, you're sitting beside a guy that's been tapping away for four hours, having his wine, eating his dinner. 
And then I pull the bag up and, you know, the dog pops his head out of the bag. They're like so shocked because they didn't even know he was there. They're almost disappointed with themselves that they didn't get to say anything derogatory. They didn't get to say that's going to be a problem. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. Traveling with kids and pets is very tense for people that, that are the guardians of both of those little beings. So try and be easy on people that are traveling with kids. They're already wrecks. They're already worried about, no, they are. And, and plus that, oh, they're, <laughs> they're freaking tired. They haven't slept. It's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. So, you know, just go into it. As much as I love this idea, I think kind of put yourself in that position. If you're complaining about babies, that's newsflash how everyone got here. <laughs> so I'd like to take some of the wind out of their sails and just say, well, then go sit at the front, you know? And that's fine. Maybe this person gets migraines or maybe they just don't like the sound of kids. Who knows? But uh, yeah, just let everyone do their own thing all they want. But yeah, you were once a baby, everyone. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> and I'm still a baby. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the green belt issues that were going on with um, your premier just, oh, by mistake, maybe letting somebody make a little bit of pocket money to use up a green belt zone that has been put that way to preserve nature, to give people trees, to stop urban sprawl. If you can comment on that, Caitlin, I'd really appreciate your thoughts. Um, I think it's a little crap. <laughs> what exactly happened? Okay, so the most recent situation, the gist of it is there is an inquiry into how these deals were cut with mm. developers mm -hmm. to take parcels of the green belt and open them up for real estate development. Um, Ontario has sort of a long history of essentially being three developers in a trench coat as a summary of our <laughs> <laughs> province. So um, anyway, so then this they're very, very powerful here. And so they they open up the green belt to some real estate development under the guise of we need to build more houses, which is true. But do you need to build more giant subdivisions that aren't located downtown? Probably That was not. such a beard. That was such a beard to say, well, yeah. you know, we do have a housing issue. Somebody's making millions of dollars and it's for its friends. And gets a payout the second it's sold. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's right, Sarah. And also... We need more, you know, mid-density housing in urban areas where the majority of people come. Uh, so anyway, so th that started happening. And then there's this inquiry into it because there was really no oversight. And then the minister of housing was really hanging on there, even though this guy had claimed, oh, it was my impropriety that was to blame, not the premier. They still weren't having him go. And then finally, it was discovered that as part of this inquiry, these developers got the land as part of this unlocking of the green belt mm -hmm. and then immediately turned around and sold it to be developed not for houses like it was going to be like a smart center or something and so they weren't even using it to solve anything to do with the housing crisis they were just probably building a bunch of big box stores and you know a place where you can get jalapeno poppers and calling it a day so then they had to give that land back but that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, when it came to public view of this. Okay. Because you can't pretend that that's anything other than what it is. So now, apparently the gentleman that was involved, Steve Clark, he's stepped down now. He's finally resigned. And he said he wasn't going to. 
Um, but he has resigned because he just says it's just too hard for people to, you know, figure out what had happened. And he's still saying that he's innocent. It's just sad to know that politics in this country are, in, they're certainly not what they were, you know, 20 years ago. I think there's a lot of, I don't know, I want to say American influence, but maybe it's a global state of politics. It's like that every man for himself mentality, and if I can make some money, and it happens here as well. It, it's happening right across the country, but that was discouraging, but also encouraging to see that it's now been stopped. The land is being left the way it is. Nothing has happened. No one's been in there with bulldozers taking down trees or or disrupting wildlife or anything like that. So we'll see how that goes forward. You guys have to keep me up to speed. Yeah, the new housing minister came in and said, oh, we might even open up more of it. Like he didn't, he really doubled down when he started again. So I don't think, I think the Greenbelt thing is going to be ongoing for a while. And it's really getting a lot of public attention as it should, because it's not going to solve much of our housing issues. And it is going to result in, yeah, not such a great, result for the environment and for all the the farmers and agriculture that are in that area. One of the greatest, greatest things about going to Manhattan and going to New York at any time of year is a very giant park called Central Park, which is thousands of acres. And, you know, over a hundred years ago, a very clever man had the wherewithal to when everything was going mad and they were building on Manhattan and all the high rises were going up and it was such an exciting time and people were making money and the real estate was going through the roof even 80 years ago. It's like, let's have a park. Let's plunk it right in the middle of the city. It is what makes that city so special. So if you want to talk about a green square, I don't think I've ever, ever been to New York and not spent a lot of time wandering through Central Park. And for people that live in a giant urban jungle, um, as many of you do in the greater Toronto area, it is it is a maze of concrete. It really is. There's a lot of people in a very small area or very big area, mind you. I mean, to go to that park, they, New Yorkers, every New Yorker will say that saves them. It saves their summers. It saves their their mental health, their wellness. So this is all about giving you all a place to walk your dogs and take your kids and breathe some damn air. So think about that going forward. And zoning is such a big issue as well. And that's an easy thing that they're kind of like, not just not just saying, hey, we can all build on the green belt. But, you know, why are huge portions of, of downtown areas in many cities set aside only for low density housing? Why is it such that you can't have an apartment building in certain parts of town or in certain streets. Because people don't want it in their neighborhood. They're like, we don't want that. And historically, in some parts, now I'm speaking more specifically to the U.S. as well, but when they would say, oh, we want to have single-family dwellings, there's an undertone of racism in some of these places when they would set up that zoning because they knew that a single-family dwelling would most likely be occupied by a Caucasian family because it was financially not an option for uh, necessarily everybody else, whether it was, you know, new immigrants to the country or whoever. And so they said, oh, we're just going to have single family dwellings. And then those became these really great areas. But over time, and they weren't necessarily right downtown, but over time, they became more and more downtown. And so you have to change those zoning laws so that you can actually put in even just mid-rise. Like what happened to mid-rise? There's, it's like high rise or a single house. Like when you go to Montreal, for example, they have actual mid-rise apartments. You go to Europe, they have mid-rise apartments that families can live in. What What is that? Would you say eight floors, six floors, kind of in that area? 
Yeah. And like, and sometimes even lower, you know, I mean, seven for sure here in Toronto would be considered that like mid rise. But, um, but I, I even think of like Europe and in Montreal and stuff, you'll see three, four story places that have these really nice family sized three bedroom, uh, apartments in them. And you're, you're thinking this is, this is functional. And then you go to places like Sweden and it's a three bed, three bath apartment and it's a third floor walk up and they have a fireplace. And you're like, what? <laughs> and they also manage not to tear down all the buildings in antiquity that have historic value. They manage to keep things that they somehow figure out that people will actually want to look at that as the decades pour past. They'll want to yeah. see buildings that used to have horse elevators. And like even <laughs> New York has done a pretty good job of the, the, some of those buildings literally now are over 100 years old that people are living in and thriving in. And yeah, the plumbing's been changed about five times. Anyway, before we leave this segment, one little quick comment. Uh, speaking of real estate, the Halloween house is uh, the Halloween murder movie house is up for sale in Los Angeles. And uh, it was featured in all the movies. And the price tag, I don't even think is that bad. It's it's up for $1.4 million. Oh. You can sit where, where Jamie Lee Curtis sat and waiting for Jason to come and murder her. Wasn't Jason her brother? I don't know enough about this. Yeah. I should. Yep. Four bedrooms, an avocado tree, and a home packed with charm. Don't worry. There's never been a, a slasher killer in that actual house. <laughs> Would you live in that, anybody? Mm, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> one, $1. $1.8 No. <laughs> doesn't change our, our answers seriously you wouldn't live in that because you, you think there'd be too many people coming by to take pictures or whatever like when you go to san francisco you know the full house house yeah yeah yeah. i would hate to have people coming or the the sarah jessica parker sex in the city house in new york yes. like i would hate that no yeah i don't think i want to live in a horror landmark also just because i'm not a big horror person so it doesn't really suit my actual genre taste <laughs> Well, there was an altercation last year of a guy and his family, his two young children, taking pictures outside the Home Alone house. Oh, that's a good house. <laughs> the guy living in the Home Alone house lost his shit and came out like, I don't know, swinging a bat. He, was, he had had it. So you might want to think twice about living in a house that has been featured prominently in a successful now cult type movie franchise. Are we are we certain it wasn't Marver Harry? Yeah, it was the Wet Bandits. They were back. <laughs> well, and there was another one too with the Christmas Story house. There was the house in Christmas Story where the leg lamp featured prominently in the window. If you can remember that, that also Whoa. caused a brawl with tourists coming and taking pictures of that house. Anyway, I'm just glad to be living in the trees, and I do have a story for you coming up after this break that I want to share with you about what I went through last night. I might be overreacting, but it was still like a scary... Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about that. But then we're going to move along to a lot of other very, very interesting things. I want to hear about Sarah's Greek trip and uh, the shenanigans going on with young women on the go. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, because you guys are both substantially younger than me. And I think, Sarah, had you taken me on your trip to Greece, I would have, I don't know if I could have trailed around with you guys. Let's put it that way. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast and show. I'm with Caitlin and Sarah. We'll be right back after this very 
informative and exciting break. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Podcast and Show. We're having a chuckle because I'm looking like a trucker and I've been yalling all morning. Hi, y'all. This is season two, episode 300,000. I don't know. Where, where are we at? Episode? We could make this the launch of season three if you want us to. Let's launch season three okay. today. <laughs> right now. This is the soft launch. Like this, this is how we roll. We announce what our seasons are. We say, um... One more thing before we go into your holidays that you guys have been having, and so justly deserved. They both looked very exciting. Um, a man was arrested after trying to run from Florida to London, I'm assuming London, Florida, in a makeshift hamster wheel. What? <laughs> he was so he's on the highways in this only in Florida, ladies and gentlemen. His name was Riza, and he was spotted in a manifestly unsafe vessel, which resembled a hamster wheel, around 70 miles from the east coast of the United States. He refused to come off. This was on the water. He refused to come off and had threatened <laughs> to blow himself up in what turned out to be some kind of a hoax. But uh, 70 miles off Georgia by the U.S. Coast Guard and allegedly claimed he wanted to keep going all the way to the U.K., I think drugs are a lot more powerful than they used to be. <laughs> I feel like we're reaching a breaking point here. Like, I, I, is it sad for me to say, like, I miss the good old days of, like, meth? Like, what's going on? What are people doing that they're running out in a hamster wheel? He's trying to escape Florida. It's clear. He's, he's trying to get off of Florida. Okay, so there's some holidays here. Uh, Caitlin, where were you just now? Because I did see the plane wing, as I was saying. So you went away. Girls Weekend, tell me everything. I was in northern Michigan. Oh, as you do. Yeah, I was in uh, Harbor Springs. Okay. Well, I went to Harbor Springs, and then also I checked out a little town called uh, Petoskey. My friend has a cottage right on Lake Michigan. Okay. And just sandy beach, huge dunes, beautiful. You think you're on the ocean. Like, it looks Ooh. like the ocean. It's fantastic. We went out on like a little motor yacht. We went out on a sailboat. We had fantastic dinners. We sat at the house and drank way too much. What was the purpose of this trip? Just girlfriend's trip? Yeah, girlfriend's trip. But then my friend's husband did end up honing in on some oh, of, of our time. Because random, randomly, their daughter had like a soccer tournament not far away. So he was like, I don't want to miss out on all this fun. And we all get along well with them anyway. So as a result, we did have a boat captain. He served a very important purpose. He chauffeured us around on Lake Michigan, and it was absolutely beautiful. And they've just redone their cottage. It was his cottage growing up, and they just like gutted it and redid the whole thing. So it's absolutely spectacular. Just couldn't say enough. If you have time to ever in life check out Northern Michigan, my God, it is stunning. And the food—it doesn't sound like some place that has a lot of tourist eyes on it, right? Michigan, like you just don't think of, hey, we're going to Michigan for a week i'm putting together a little reel now like some of our weekend stuff but like it takes muskoka and like kicks it in the butt oh <laughs> cool how is it being away from will have you done a lot of that so far yeah wow uh, we've done a bit of it we did la just kyle and i and we've done like one night here one night there for like a friend's birthday party or something so this was three nights away from both will and kyle 
And because Will is also in daycare, it was like hitting me mega hard because when I'm at work during the week and on the weekend when I'm so excited to see him, I had to go away. So at one point we FaceTimed and he saw me and missed me and he got he started crying. And I was like, I have to hang up the FaceTime. I immediately started crying. I was like, so that part is like it's sad, but then it's also so exciting to come home. You're like other before you think, oh, I never want girls weekend to end. But now I am so so yeah. pumped to get back to him that that is a really nice piece of it plus he's home with kyle and kyle's so great with him they had such a fun guys weekend they went to riverdale farm they got soft serve ice cream they went to a farmer's market so as much as i missed him i was never worried about him yeah sarah you on a very different trip you you had you had a conference but then you and your friends went to greece um and i've been hearing all kinds of the like the heat warnings in greece the stuff that's going on there they also had some fires going on over there did it feel precarious or was it just like business as usual? You guys were doling up, going out for dinner, doing the clubs every night. Did it did it seem the least bit like that you were in peril? No, I, I think, um, you know, we visited with a lot of locals because my friend's son lives there and she used to live there. So at least we had like a really local take on everything. And oh, cool. she had rented a car, so she really took us around. Where were um, you? So flew through Athens. And I did spend two days sightseeing in Athens to do like the Parthenon and the Acropolis and all that stuff. You can't be all the way over there and not do those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the island, I went to Rhodes, but the Greeks pronounce it Rhodos. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it's not as touristy as like, you know, the Santorini or the Mykonos, but there was still a lot of tourists, I would say. And the fires were like just down the beach. So because we knew so many local people, they were telling us, they were telling us about that experience and what they could see and showing us photos on their phones. Was it hot? Like, were you dealing with the the 100 degree temperatures? It was like, you know, a week of like 30 to 35 degrees. So not much different from the heat waves here, to be honest, but a different kind of sun. We haven't had that here. We have not had that heat here. We had maybe a week that was over 30. Ontario has been 40. Oh God, Nigel, who's in, who's in, um, like just outside of the, yeah, outside of London. They, it was 33 degrees yesterday. He says, I can't even bloody mow the lawn. But 33 for Brits, that is outrageous. So Athens right now, if you see in the news, they're ha- they were having like a ton of flooding um, to the north. And that's because they haven't had rain in two months. So when I flew back through Athens, that's when I was there yeah. for two days. They hadn't had rain in two months. And like the droplets were starting. I, I brought a rain poncho with me because I was expecting this. And it was like 20, 22 degrees in Athens. The, on the island, it was very hot though. And I did pretty good with my pale skin. I got a little bit of freckles, a little bit of a tan, only peeling a bit. Well, it looked like you guys had fun and you were doing the clubs. I can't imagine anything worse than going to a club. Honestly, I'm not a clubber either. Like, is my age showing? I cannot fathom, you know, holding on to your drink in your hand, clutching your drink so you don't get roofied. Did you feel safe? And were the boys nice? I'm obviously just a paranoid older individual and... <laughs> But I mean, you know, the clubs, was it like you guys are young, straight women looking for a good time? Were, were the Greek Greek fellows out in droves or what? Tell me, tell me everything. <laughs> I will say that I'm not a clubber. And, you know, I had to talk myself into the clubbing. The two other girls, okay. definitely clubbers. This is what they do in Toronto. They go out starting at 1 a.m. I'm like, what? We're going oh, to no. now. What are you talking about? <laughs> Caitlin just sprung off her pillow. <laughs> How old are they? Okay. So this is what's crazy. I was the youngest. I was with a, a 54-year-old, a 49-year-old. Sarah is 37 43 years old. 43-year-old. 
And I was the one that was like, wait, what? We're not going out till 1 a.m.? I couldn't do it. But the music was not like the do, do, do that you just described. It was Greek music. And I really enjoyed Greek music. Okay, sorry. I've just, I had to do it. Greek top 40. Greek top 40. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and, and you know what? I was fine, you know, having a, a couple really nice cocktails at dinner and then going to the club at 1 a.m. I was like, okay, at least I had time to like warm up. And there was a Greek basketball team <laughs> that we kind of hung out with a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and I, I might have met a really nice um, player who lives in Bari, Italy. A player. And I might have a phone number. I might have a WhatsApp with, with this fellow. So that was good. Okay. Was good. I love that. So he's speaking to English. Yeah, that's fair. That's a nice holiday. It's called Shirley Valentine. Shirley Valentine 2.0. Yes. But for the most part, I mean, one of the gals was like, after boys like everything revolved around boys and I was like I thought I I just don't understand like when I'm 10 years older am I gonna be like this too <laughs> up at 1 a.m clubbing and like yes. trolling for yes. hot men she's living her best life I'm jealous she is and I will say that I probably would have had a completely different experience if I went with other people Caitlin you might not know this I went with my hairdresser and my esthetician the woman who waxes me obsessed if you're just tuning in and you just heard, I went with my esthetician who waxes me, uh, that was Sarah Burke telling us about her holiday and the people that she went with. Listen, I still haven't told you about what happened to me last night. Oh, tell us. It breaks from the holiday vibe. And I, I don't mean to be like a bit of a downer. And, and you guys tell me because I might be overreacting, okay. but it ruined my night. So I came home from an early dinner with friends. I had Poppy. I came into the yard checking the plants. I'm walking around. I come onto the deck. I put a couple of umbrellas down. I'm thinking it's going to be windy tonight. Blah, blah, blah. I know I'm boring. I know I can see you yawning already. So Poppy starts barking like crazy. Like five minutes later, I was just about to lock up for the night. And I see this white sedan sitting in front of my gate with two gentlemen. I went and put my glasses on. They were not buzzing my gate. They were pacing back and forth. One was sitting in the gravel, smoking a cigarette. And I was waiting for the gate to be buzzed, right? Because once they buzz the gate, it turns the intercom on and I can have a conversation with them from my deck 300 yards away. They didn't buzz. They didn't buzz. 25 minutes went by and I could, my heart was just pounding. I phoned the neighbor. He didn't pick up. I got in my car and I drove to my gate and the gate automatically opens and the guy looks at me and I said, can I help you? With my window rolled halfway down. And uh, he says, oh, we look for a car on Kijiji. You know, we look for a car on Kijiji. And I'm like, you're not looking for a fucking car on Kijiji. You're casing the joint. Well, this is where I went to. And it happens out here constantly. And I hate to even say that. Like, I'm embarrassed even saying it. But I was so scared. He kind of came towards the car. I said to him through the window, what address are you looking for? Alex, Alex. And I'm like, mm, there's no Alex here. And there's no, there's no car on Kijiji here. He just, they started laughing, right? He just started laughing. And I said, well, I hope you find it. You know, have a good night. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know where that is. I can't help you if you're not willing to, if you, you don't want to give me an address. So I came back in the house, the gate closed. They still sat there. And I finally got a hold of my neighbor and my neighbor said, phone 911. He said, just say it's a non-emergency. You'll get the RCMP. 
he's just like, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't have my phone when you called, but he said, do, do it right now. And, and my neighbor teaches gun safety. I've talked about him before to, to the police, like he's a badass. So I phoned the police. I watched this sedan finally pull away. They pulled up the road and they parked a hundred yards down the road, maybe. And then as I'm talking on the phone to the police department, then I see the car finally like pull forward and leave. And I was texting Mark while I was talking to the police officer saying the car's left now. And he goes, yeah, I'm watching them go. Anyway, the police was very nice. They actually phoned me back after I gave my report. I just said, it's two young men, thirties, beards, white sedan. They couldn't really say why they were here. They've been sitting in front of my gate. And I just felt so scared. Not going to lie. I felt really, really, really scared. And I do have a gate. I have security cameras. I have lights. But, you know, there's so many hits out here of people just seeing if somebody's home. But I don't think, I've been here 16 years and I, I've never experienced that kind of fear before. Yeah. And I, I, I hardly slept. I didn't, I hardly slept last night. You know, I just thought, I thought, I don't know what else I can do here to protect myself. I don't know what else to do. The RCMP was so helpful. He just told me, you're in a cul-de-sac, you have a gate, you have a fence, you have security lights, you have a camera. He said, "There's you're doing everything right. And he said, it is absolutely a deterrent. He said, I really think you can rest easy. And he said, it's exactly the MO. He said, thank you for calling. Thanks for giving a description. Um, I think they're calling back today. I need to lift the footage off of my, my security cameras to see if they can get a license plate because... I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to snap a picture of their license plate. It was two young men. And I just felt like I'm not getting out of my car. And uh, then he said to me, let me speak to your husband. Let me speak to your husband. And I just pretended that I didn't hear that as I was, I was backing up. It was almost like, do you want to see if I have a husband? Or I don't know. It was just a weird, Yeah, these are weird times. And I'm in such a remote area. And that's my story. I feel like even if you weren't, even if it turns out to be, you know, nothing, you were reminded in those instances as a woman living alone that you are vulnerable. So even if that wasn't a moment where you were in immediate danger, why would your brain not process it as being a high risk situation? I would have thought the same thing. Why did I even drive out to the gate? The only thing I thought is if they think no one's home. So this was, I, I, I was doing all these different things in my mind. You need bear spray. But they could hear the dog barking like crazy. Yeah, you should get bear spray. What would you guys have done? I just want to ask you, like if you were in my position. I'm curious. I would have called non-emergency. Okay. I, we have a Toronto non-emergency line here. I would have called non-emergency. That's what I did. Yeah, I would have done the same thing. And I think I would have felt the same way if it was two women that were there going, we're looking for a car on Kijiji. We want Alex. And, and show me the address. They wouldn't show me the address. They wouldn't tell me the address. If, if right. you're driving out to the country, do you not have an address? And wouldn't you be texting Alex to say, we're in front of your gate? Exactly. Like there were so yeah. many things that didn't make sense. And the officer said, that's very typical. He said, that is really what they do is that they're just yeah. assessing the risk. They're yeah. assessing everything. You called them on their BS. The majority of property crimes, like they don't want to encounter people. No. So they, they just want to they want to make off with some valuables and that's it. So you probably were fine. I have no valuables. I mean, if you want to pick up my lawnmower, I guess that would be of some <laughs> value. But 
I don't even know if it starts right now. I don't, I think I, I have the batteries dead every time I try to go start it. But you did the right thing by like going out and because like by you seeing them, they're deterred. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I agree. The, the funny thing is, is my cameras run, they save 30 days of footage. Like I have a huge hard drive in the house, in the basement. And these guys were sitting out there for 20, 25 minutes. Oh, weird. Sitting in the gravel smoking and just sitting in front of my gate. The cameras would be capturing everything. Like the cameras are good. So they were facing the camera. They could see the camera. I have signs on my fence that says you, this is recording. Like, is that just a really dumb criminal? Probably. And also, yeah. Dumb. They could have just been stoned too. Like, who knows? The, the officer asked me, Do you think they were on drugs? And I said, I don't think so. But I don't know. I mean, also, too, like, like I don't know. My uncle who lives out and he lives in uh, rural Ontario, he had a roundabout at the end of his driveway. And he had incidents where drivers would pull in and he would get sketched out by things. And he had uh, bull terriers and he would send them out and they would just go case the whole perimeter. And if they saw something they didn't like, oh, you do not want to encounter that dog. So, I mean, there were there. Are, I feel like it's just the difference between, you know, there's the feeling of the heebie-jeebies in a city. And then there's that in like more of a rural setting. And you get it everywhere. You still get uneasy feelings wherever you go. Oh, no, absolutely. But I don't want to live in fear. Uh, like I really no. ruined my night and I woke up this morning really kind of exhausted. My heart felt so tense. Yeah. I you know, took all the keys, which is a good thing. I have keys hanging at the back door to the suggestion of the RCMP. He said, do you have car, your car keys hanging at your back door? I said, yeah. He said, take those. He said, don't put them there. He said, put them in a drawer somewhere. He said, you know, that you obviously know where they are, that you can get them and access them, but do not leave keys at your back door. So I learned a lot of things, you know, just from speaking to him. He said, really try not to worry. He said, this is not, you know, yeah. He said it was probably good that, you know, that they saw you and that you engaged them and asked, what's the address? You know, can I help you? And being aware and paying attention is is so much of the battle. So I, I think that's good. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I can be aloof. I don't feel like I can just be, well, I just thought they were, you have to trust your, your gut instinct. How many times do, as women do we override that time and time and time again? We override it because don't be silly. Don't be ridiculous. It's nothing. Walk down that alley. Get into that elevator. You're, you're fine. Walk to your car. I cannot go through my life ignoring the natural alarms in my body that don't trigger off. Like I don't get like that very often. There's always people turning around in the cul-de-sac or lost or they've overshot this. Or, But I've never had two men sitting in the gravel outside my gate for that long. Going back to what we talked about about a month ago and even like being prepared for natural disasters, right? You have to ask yourself what you would do in these situations before they happen mm -hmm. too. So all of this is good to, you know, even for Caitlin and I to think about, okay, yeah. so there's a creepo waiting outside the house. What are you, what are you going to do? I'm calling Uncle Rick. That's why I'm calling. So upcoming guests. We have a wonderful, wonderful, one of the most iconic, amazing, talented, spiritual badass. I, I, I don't even know how to explain Buffy St. Marie. She, she was one of the first indigenous warriors of, of our generation in the sixties doing music, you know, writing about issues, writing about politics. 
putting her herself on the line, putting her safety on the line, you know, being threatened, being blacklisted. She is incredibly powerful and she is a sage wise elder and she has a lot to say and she's going to be with us over the next couple of weeks. She's going to be uh, a guest. I believe she'll be coming to us from her home in Hawaii. So I'm sure she will have a lot to talk about just with what's going on with her there. But yeah, she's, she's truly an original. Her music influenced me so much growing up. Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee is a record that I played over and over and over again as a teenager. And I don't even think I understood what it was about. I just loved her voice and I loved the musicality. And so it's a major score for us here at the show. I'm so excited to be able to talk to her. I don't think she does a lot of this stuff. In fact, uh, just this past year, she announced that she would no longer be touring. It's going to be an incredible conversation. We'll definitely keep you posted as to when she's going to be on the show. Next week. So get your questions ready. Next week. Oh, I'm nervous. Yeah, well, I got I got so many questions. That's our show for the day. And it's been great. That's our first official Jan, Caitlin, Sarah, season three, episode one. The trifecta. Yeah. Should we call this episode the trifecta? I feel like we should. Yes. You can listen to us where you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can start with iHeartRadio. You can go to Apple. You can go to Spotify. You can, you can, you can find us. And uh, pretty soon, uh, Sarah Burke is going to get us all set up on YouTube. That's been one of our, our missions that we're going to go on, that you can see these podcasts, perhaps in their entirety with video. Ooh. So we're working on it. We have things to discuss, uh, but we always look so great that we're not worried about that. We're not worried about how we look. Yeah, even if you pick your nose, it'll be all over YouTube. I'm picking my nose right now. <laughs> I'm fully lying in bed, like as close to being asleep as I, as one can guess. Well, you got up at 3.30 in the morning to go do your radio show, so... I, I have a big pimple. I look god awful. I've got pimples. But anyway, you can also leave us a review. You can leave us five stars. And that way, we will love you and appreciate you <laughs> even more than we do now. <laughs> so from myself, uh, from Caitlin Green, Sarah Burke, we'll see you next time. Totally do. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.